Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, we, uh, we've actually been in a, in a series, and for some of you, maybe if you're here for the first time or maybe watching for the first time, we've been in a series that's really helping us pay attention to what's going on deep in our hearts. And, and it's been a series really talking about uh, what we've called the seven deadly sins. It's, it's kind of like a funny thing. People have said to me, have you seen the movie or have you read the book? Or, you know, it's kind of part of our culture to hear that language. But really, we're doing this in a season that we've called, is, is the season of Lent. Lent is kind of this time where we've, we give focused attention to what it means that God is drawing us to the cross. And so this is very unique to what it means to be Christians as we move towards Good Friday and Easter. And so we pray that no matter how busy your lives might be, that you would come with us on this journey as we go where Jesus is calling us to go. That you would look at your schedule and say, you know, this is going to be really important to kind of remind myself why I'm a Christian and why this matters. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet. You're like, I'm not even sure like about the Bible, about God, or you know someone who's just not there yet. We really want to be a church that creates room for people to process some of those questions, to, to know that it's safe to ask those questions. And actually, years ago, I remember when we started the church, I often would tell people, if I was talking to someone, I would say, hey, I work at a church, I'm a pastor, and they would be like, well, are, are you one of those guilt trip churches? And I was like, well, like, what do you mean? And I, I know what that means. You know, right away, people feel church or God, it's either a guilt trip, you're going to tell me that I'm a sinner, talk about naming a series The Seven Deadly Sins. That'll do it, right? Uh, but I remember thinking that for people, they have all these preconce preconceived ideas of what church is. And it can be hard to help them realize that church is a place where we get honest about our sin, not because we want people to feel guilty, but because we want to understand God's love better. And so if you haven't been here for the series, let me just frame this in a really important way. If you've never read your Bible, you don't know this. And if you've read your Bible, you do. That whenever the Bible talks about sin, It addresses sin to remind us that God loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Okay, this is so important. Because or else we just love just feeling like there's people like, oh, we need to talk about sin. We got to tell people they're sinners. Yes, we do need to do that. But we do it from a place of a God who says, I love you too much to leave you there. I love you too much to see your life in bondage. I love you too much for you to miss the blessings and the promises that I have in store for you. And so we're in this series trying to talk about things that are easy to ignore. I'll be the first one to tell you about the sin we're going to talk about today. Listen, I want to give you like two minutes to get up. I'm going to close my eyes. You can get up and go home right now. Because envy is one of those seven deadly sins that gets every single one of us. It's one of those sins that creeps up in ways and it, it kind of finds its place in our hearts. And we live in a culture, in fact, that has so many positive waves to frame something so negative. 
And so I just want to begin to help you understand this is I want to take a minute, think about this. If you're at home, you might want to do this with a person you're watching with or driving your car with, wherever you're listening from. It's just how would you answer this question? If you had to answer this question, how would you answer it? I'd be so much happier if only I had blank. Take a minute. Just think about it. And if you're like, no, I just, Jesus is enough, you're a liar. That's coming up in a few weeks. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But all of us know that there's so many things that come to mind when we think about this. Oh, I'd be so much happier. My marriage was just a bit better. I'd be so much happier if my kids just kind of were more obedient. I'd be so much happier if we had a, a nicer pastor. Like the ones on the internet. The ones in the Bible. There are more in the Bible. Not that you guys are that, but people say that. Not you. So much happier if our church was bigger. Bigger church. Be happier. Just a bit more money in the bank account. I, a little. Not a lot. I don't want to be greedy. I'm on the greedy edge. But a bit more. I'd be happier. After a while, this becomes the primary way we identify our lives whether we're successful, whether things are going well, we base it on how happy we are. So let me just begin in a really easy way. Envy is the sin that tells us that life should be measured on the happiness scale. Envy is the sin that convinces us that your life matters most or is most successful or going well if you're happy. Now, the truth is that nobody ever gets happy by seeking happiness. If you want to write anything down, just write that down. Nobody ever finds happiness by seeking happiness. That's why the Bible tells us that the truth of who we are is that we find out what it really means to be happy or to be joyful by seeking to be holy. This is a very weird concept for us because holy is a weird idea. For, holy is like, well, that's kind of big. It sounds like a guilt trip, churchy word. Uh, can we talk about something else? No, but let me just tell you, the word holy means to be set apart. Okay? It's not a big, complicated idea. The ancient word holy means for something to be set apart with a distinct purpose. Okay? And what the Bible says is that we really find what it means to really be who we, God's called us to be when we realize that we're set apart for his works, not just to be happy. And you might be fascinated when you start reading the Bible that nowhere in the Bible does Paul or the writers of the Bible say, hey, we just hope that you're happy today. Like, that's never in there. Maybe that's why you don't read the Bible, because maybe you're looking for that, right? But the Bible tells us, hey, I hope you've, you sense God's purpose and your identity and what God's doing, and you understand that God is calling you to some deep obedience and commitment, and out of that you will experience deep joy and happiness. See how different it is? Where our culture says, just seek the happiness, the Bible says, don't seek happiness. Seek your purpose and understand what God's calling you to. And so envy begins by us getting lost in this loop. And our culture has so many beautiful words that trick us into believing that is it really that bad to be envious and to just want to be happy? Is it really that bad? Like, why does God care whether we just want to be happy? You know, I went to a church whenever people were happy. It's like, oh, you can't be happy. God hates happiness. Like, I was always confused about God. Like, to be a Christian is to always be sad. I mean, woe is me. Oh, it's so hard. Like, after a while, and, and it's just I never understood this principle. But we live in a culture that teaches us that we should always be looking for the next thing, and if we get it, we'll be happier. Oh, man, have you ever been on that train? Oh, I've been on it. Oh, if only we got that. If only I get this, now I'll be happy. And then you know what this happened? That almost happened to you. You finally get there, and guess what? You're not happy. You're like, it's not what I thought it was. 
right? And we have sayings for this, right? It's the grass is greener where? Somewhere else. It's better there. The whole world runs on us being envious. Everything. We have like texting. We, we use FOMO, fear of missing out. We hope you're envious enough to worry that you're going to miss out if you don't have this next thing. Or my favorite word that our culture uses to help us kind of ignore the dangers of envy in our hearts is the word influencer. Ever hear this word? Yeah? There's influencers out there. An influencer is a nice word for somebody who's good at making people envious. That's all it is. Because all influencers are, they are so good at convincing you that you should have what they have. And if you have it, you'd be happy. Or you would look like them. Or you'd be successful. Or you would have influence like them. Influencers are like a nice way of saying, I'm pro at making you get envious. I'm so good at it. That people pay me to stir envy in you. So for some of you, one of the ways that envy maybe gets addressed is by just like throwing your phone in the garbage. I mean, no? It's like, is Dom serious? <laughs> a little bit. By just saying, like, sometimes I think I'm on or watching certain things so much, and it, don't get me wrong, I don't think it's bad to have a phone or to be on. But maybe for you, you're in a season that there's a pattern that's developing in your heart that you see all these things and you realize, I wish I had more, or I should have that, or if only I did that, or when I compare myself to this person, I feel like, really, I'm so insignificant, or I don't really know who I am. Maybe for you, it's a season of saying, I need to just take a break from all that. And to remind myself that maybe searching after just a happiness trail isn't really what's going to make me happy. So I just want to go like a little bit deeper and help you see how the Bible invites us to address this. Because the Bible doesn't just tell us this is sinful. The Bible also tells us this is how Jesus sets us free. This is why you're here. And I want to begin by showing you two ways that the Bible talks about envy. So envy is believing that if only you had what someone else has, you would feel more significant, happier, have more meaning, have more purpose. It's always wanting what someone else has. So one of the first ways that the Bible addresses this is the kind of envy that we see in the world. I would say, in my whole life, this is one of the first ways I learned about envy. Don't be envious about the things you see other people have in the world. Okay, and what I meant, but what it was meant by this is actually, it's found in the Psalms, there's a wonderful prayer that addresses this, that when you see people who seem successful, they're doing certain things, and you're almost like, I just, is it bad to want what they want? Is it bad to just want just a little bit more? Is it bad to kind of look like them or want to be like them? And you're always not sure. So the psalmist explains this kind of envy, an envy that looks at others and says, I want some of these things. This is what the psalmist says. You can go to the next slide and I'll read it for us. And it's a great, I guess it's a great prayer for us when we read the Psalms to say, the Psalms help us to get honest. And it says this, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the psalmist goes on to say, and they looked at their strong, and these are people who, who don't even love God. Like, they, they live by the rules of the world, and they're doing great. You've ever found you're tempted this way? You're like, you know, if they're doing it and it's working for them, maybe, like, I should do it. This creeps up in your heart. You meet somebody, they're like, you know, they were maybe, like, you know, not truthful on a situation, and they got the promotion. Is it really that bad? Maybe I'll try it. It's not a big deal. Think about what it means when we live in a world that we look around, we're like, things don't seem fair. People who take advantage of the system, people who do things that are unjust, they still get rich. You're like, after a while, you're like, Ugh! 
And the psalmist says, here's a prayer that I had to address for my heart, that sometimes I'm envious because I wonder if we really have a God who's just. Why doesn't God punish those people who are being successful when they're doing the wrong things? I think of that all the time. So envy creeps in at that level. And I think, this is just my perspective on this, uh, maybe you agree, you know, is that I feel that almost everybody, even if you're not a Christian or believe in the Bible, I think most people would say, I believe that too. If you meet somebody who's not a Christian, if you believe somebody who's like, doesn't believe in God, even someone who's an atheist, they would say, you know, I have to be careful because I think being envious of what bad people do is a bad thing. Nobody's looking at what's happening in Russia and in Ukraine thinking, that Putin guy, I hope I become like him one day. I would like to steal other people's land and take over. Everybody would be like, listen, I don't know what I believe about God and all stuff, but that's bad. Like all of that is bad. So envy at a basic level is something that almost everybody kind of feels and understands in a general way. I learned about envy at this level. It's maybe the first level. And nobody you meet, no matter what they believe, is ever going to be like, I think envy is fine. Being envious is just a great thing. They're all going to be like, nah, no, it's dangerous. You got to be careful. But they don't know how Jesus is connected to that. They don't know how the good news of the gospel is connected to that. They don't know how freedom and hope comes out of addressing that. That they don't know. But the Bible takes us there. And we have to go there, that next step. And so now I want to tell you about the second type of envy that the Bible talks about. This is the kind of envy, you'll see it on there, is the kind of envy where we envy good things not meant for us. Okay? The first is we envy bad things. That was like, this, nobody should want that. But then the Bible talks about envy of good things that God hasn't planned for us to have. And the most famous example of this is the commandments. You actually will hear the commandment in this. I'm going to read it for you. Maybe you never thought of it this way. It says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's a good idea. Or husband. Or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is one of the great commandments of the Ten Commandments. And we get a word here that the Bible connects to envy is the word covet. That many of us are sometimes prone to envy things that other people have that are not bad things, they're actually good things. And in the commandments, God tells his people, be careful that some things that you see others have, you're not ready to have yet. Or it's not time for you to experience those things yet. So don't think you can just have them or take them. Imagine like how important this is that it becomes one of the first commandments that God gives his people. Years ago, my life was changed when I, I started pastoring, you know, in my early 20s. And then I went a point in my life, I had an opportunity to be the pastor of a larger church, and there was a transition in the church I was working at, and there was an opportunity to be the leader of this church that was fairly big. It was a big church, right? And I was, I was young. I had not a lot of experience as a pastor, and, and I remember a, an older gentleman in the church took me out for lunch, and uh, they just said, Dom, hey, I've been praying for you. I know you're wondering what God has in store for you, and I know that there's this opportunity that God might be calling you into, but he said to me, you need to protect your heart from envy. He talked to me about this. And I was like, wow, I'm doing the work of God. This is great. I, I might want to be the leader now. And they're like, be careful. Because sometimes you seek for things you did not sacrifice for. And I never forgot that moment. It was one of the greatest mentoring moments that I remember. That somebody said to me, at times God blesses you with things, and if you didn't sacrifice for them, you take them for granted. Changed my life as a young leader. Because I thought, it's not a bad thing to want that. It's a good thing. It's for the Lord. It's somebody else has it. I want it for, oh, and I couldn't get honest where in that moment, there was a moment of envy that I'm like, wait a second. It is true. I don't think I understand the sacrifices 
that others have made to lead to this point. Maybe I cannot be trusted with this moment because envy is there waiting in my heart. And you know what? I was so good at doing this. I was so good at naming envy so many other things. So the Bible then says to us, be careful that you don't envy good things. Things that maybe it's not time for you to have. This is one of the greatest things you can even pray. To say, God, I'm praying for certain things, but you might not answer this prayer because I'm not ready to experience your blessing in this way. And so I just want to show you how this happens in the Bible as an important theme. And I want to take you back to the beginning of the Bible where this happens really at the beginning of what the Bible calls the fall or the disobedience or disorder of the world. If you've never read the Bible, you maybe still know a little bit about the story. And it's this famous story of Adam and Eve. It's this great moment that we go back to consistently as Christians to say that sinfulness at its core happens in this moment of disobedience. Now, to tell you the truth, for years, I don't think I ever connected envy to part of the story. I mean, there's a lot of things you can say about it. But I'm going I'm to read for you a passage just in a few minutes, and it's a bit longer, and I just want you as I read it to see if you notice where envy just kind of creeps up in the passage. Just see if you notice where you're like, ah, here it is. Here, I think it's, it's a big deal. This is what happens when we not only don't want bad things, we then have to be careful that we just don't want good things that are not meant for us, but then what it looks like that we want something that only belongs to God. This is what we're told in the book of Genesis. It says this. Now the serpent, who represents evil or Satan, was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. A few verses down, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. It never dawned on me before. Maybe you saw it or you feel it right away. That I expect the devil to say, I expect this story to be more like the questions I have. Hey, is God really real? Can you really trust God? Have you seen God? Does God really care about you? All the questions I have or I know people who don't believe in God have, right? And you know those questions. Like if there's bad things in the world, can God really be a good God? If God really exists, wouldn't he fix all the problems in the world? Like all those questions. The devil doesn't really, the serpent doesn't come with that question at all. The serpent comes and says, listen, are you sure that God has given you the truth about everything that's here and available to you? Are you sure that God said you can't have any fruit in this garden? And the woman is truthful. She says the truth. She says, no, no, God did say we can eat from all of the trees. And I, and I thought about this. I thought about giving you a prop and just and just having like a pile of candy here and having one little chocolate bar here and God saying you can have all of this but you can't have that chocolate bar there because that's not for you. It exists in its right time, you will understand it, but now it's not for you. And what does the serpent say? Maybe there's just a little bit of envy here that I can say, wait a second, how come you can't even have this as well? How come? And this is so common to us. This is what envy does. Envy blinds us to the blessings of God by reminding us what we still don't have. When envy gets a hold of our hearts, we are blinded. We are blinded by the blessings. We are blinded to see God has given us all of this. 
And yet we think, but I'm not happy yet. Maybe if I had that, I'd be happy. Maybe if I had one more thing, I would be happy. The beginning of the story, Satan comes and begins. Obviously, there's many sins, and, and we have all of these questions. We wonder, like, like what, what would I do if I was in that situation? And I know because I feel it in my life. Moments where if, if only I had that one other thing and all the blessings of God, I just can't really even be grateful for those things because envy is always there waiting to grip our hearts. I want to tell you a time in my life where this really became real to me, where envy wasn't just temptation, but it had really gripped my life. And it happened when I was around 20 years old. I remember when I was in my 20s, I had a job for the first time, I was saving some money, and I remember because of people in my life who cared for me, they said to me, things that I talked to my kids about and many of you about, that I should learn to set aside some of what I have and give it back to the Lord. You know, in our context for church, we call that offering or a tithe. And oftentimes the Bible invites us to consider like a 10%, right? Like if you have $1,000 a month, that you would give $100 to the Lord, right? It's just a small little thing. And some of you are faithful in that way, and some of you are like, wait a second, that sounds like a lot of money. Well, you just send me an email, we'll talk. But there's this moment in my life when I was around in my 20s, and I was making money. And I remember somebody saying to me, hey, Dom, how's it going with you worshiping the Lord with your money? And I was like, oh, it's going great. And in my head, I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. And I remember this moment where I sat down and I thought, wait a second. All of this, my job and where I'm at in my life, was the blessings of God. And I felt in my heart that if I gave just a small portion of that to God's work, I wouldn't be able to continue to do what I wanted to do to experience happiness in my life. And I was gripped by this. It, was, it sounds like, I think about it now, it sounds foolish. But I found that there's something about envy that makes it impossible to just celebrate all the goodness of God. And one of the ways to know whether envy has gripped your heart is to monitor how generous you are. That's what the Bible invites us to. Monitor how you're doing with your generosity. When God says, hey, hey I blessed you with this, a portion of this is mine. Or does what happens in the Genesis story grip our hearts? where you're like suspicious about, can I really trust that God will provide? Did God really tell us the truth? And you start to be suspicious about whether, you know, whether maybe you have to keep working harder and maybe you have to find a way to make sure you find your own happiness and you seek your own happiness. This is exactly how the world talks about these, these ideas. And yet the Bible invites us to this deeper place. So how are you doing as it relates to envy? Maybe you're noticing that there's some things that are there and you found a different way to talk about them and envy just shows up in so many different ways. It might not even be that you're envious for stuff. You might be envious for other things. You just want to look like someone else. Or you just think you should have information other people have. That's a good one in church. Have you see that one? Well, how come we don't know that? Because it's none of your business. Well, wait a second. Just try that with people. It's great. It just, we, we think we deserve whatever somebody has, I should have. And God's like, wait, maybe it's not your time to have that. Paul, into the New Testament, will begin to invite us to see one of the great secrets of how God sets us free. Let me give you one very, very quickly. I don't have a long time and I want us to turn to communion in a second, but one of the one ways that we're set free from thinking that we're happy if we have the next thing, that we're happy if we work more and if we hoard more, we'd be happier, right, is by just having a day off. The Bible calls this a Sabbath day of rest. Where your identity is not found in 
the next thing you're going to produce. And if you, you reach your numbers at work, then, then, then you'd be happy. Then you'd be significant. Just having a day where you're like, today, I don't work. In the Old Testament, God deals with this in his people. But the other thing that the New Testament does, it invites us to think about what it means to be content in the Lord. Okay? And I just want to read a passage into the New Testament where Paul talks about this in a profound way. This is what he says. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wow, I want that. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What Paul gives to us is he offers us this gift of saying you need to stop looking at your life through the lens and what will make you happy and start to see your life as a life that's committed to what are the things God's called me to as he sets me apart. And the joy and contentment is found in following that, not following just being happy. Not following what you see around you all the time. And what Paul says here, if you're taking notes, you're writing anything down, he uses this word twice, and it's really important. He says, I have learned. I have learned. You know what that means? This is good news. It means that we can learn. If he can learn it, then I can learn it, then you can learn it. And for so many people, when we read the Bible, or we read about Paul, we're like, yeah, but that's Paul. Or that's Jesus. Or that's Moses. You know, it's a way of washing our hands. I mean, like, I can't be like them. I'm just Bob. I'm just Dom. I'm just Susie. I I'm not as strong as them. They're special. Paul says, no, no, no. I learned this. This week, we can learn this. We can learn to look at our lives and say, God, I've missed the gift of the blessings that I have and learning to be content with where I'm at not there's not times when you're calling me to grow or to stretch or to improve at work. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about wanting those things because somehow if you had them, your identity would be resolved. You, you'd be at peace. You would be whole. You would be special. You would be significant. That's what envy does. Envy is not just about maybe wanting to do better. But it's believing the lie of what those things might give you that God himself says, I have given you those things. Now in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to take some time, quiet with God, and to come take communion. And today, as we come to the communion table, I want you to envision in your mind Jesus saying to you as you come to this table that he is enough. That he has what, it, what would help you be content in where you're at now. Now, that doesn't mean there's not times where God's going to stretch you and call you to new things, but that what he's going to do on the cross, and what he does in that moment with his disciples is enough to set us free from the power of all sin, particularly envy this morning. And I want to do this by showing you something that happens to Jesus that he does for us. If you want to go back with me in your minds very, very quickly before the, the band just leads us to the beginning of Genesis, where the devil decides he's going to show up and he's going to cause disorder and he says to Eve and Adam, hey, what about all the, what, how come you didn't have this? You would be happy if you have that tree as well. All these trees don't count. We need one more. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he sets his heart on doing what God has called him to do, the devil shows up again to tempt Jesus. He shows up to tempt Jesus almost with the exact same thing. If Eve was envious and started to doubt whether God would provide and 
whether God can be trusted if he, there's a tree that she can't eat from yet, right? All those things in the story, right? Maybe Jesus can be tempted as well. Maybe Jesus is just as envious as all the other people who came before him. That was like, they worked, so let's just try it. And if you've you read the Bible, you know some of this, right? That there's multiple temptations. Jesus is tempted multiple times, but I just want to highlight one of the temptations. The devil comes to Jesus, and this is what happens. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This one moment where it's like, this is going to be great. I'm just going to tell him all these other things. He doesn't have to just like be a rabbi and be the son of God and, and just do what God says. He doesn't have to just be obedient. He doesn't have to just be holy, which is set apart for the task that is for Jesus. He might also believe that all the kingdoms of the world are really what he's here for. And in this moment, Jesus says, envy is not how this is going to work now. That I... I'm not here to just be happy. I'm not here to just experience the kingdoms of the world and all the good things of the world, right? I'm here because I've been set apart for God's work. And that what is what I'm going to do now. And if you understand this moment, you understand something that I never saw before and it just hit me this week, that the person who's most envious in the story is Satan himself. Because he wants something that only belongs to God. He's like, if I give you this, you should worship me. You understand what envy does? Envy makes us those who exactly become like the devil is at his core. The ones who want something that does not belong to us. Some of those things are bad things. Some of those things are good things. And some of those things are only for God to have. So when we worship and when we invite you to come and to grow, we're actually learning to do things that keep envy from sticking to us because we come to worship because only he deserves worship. And the devil's like, oh, I'm so envious. If only you would worship me. And Jesus is like, this is not going to work this way. This morning, we have a chance to come to this table and to ask Jesus to strengthen us by his power to do every day what he does in that moment to say there's no kingdom of this world that will deter us from being those who find our identity in the cross of Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that will do that. Are we tempted? Of course we are. But we will come back to the fact that envy does not have our heart and that Jesus our Lord provided a way to be set free. Amen. That this week, you would be able to look at that question that I started the sermon with. If only, I'd be happy if only I had blank. I need nothing else. That life is not measured by how happy you and I are. It will be measured by whether we were obedient and understood that we've been set apart for the things of God. And as you follow that, you will experience great joy and contentment. That's the secret. Let me just pray for us before we take some time and come to the table together. Jesus, 
we are so grateful that you taught us how to withstand temptation by trusting the words of God. And now we trust in the power of the Spirit that reminds us of you and your work for us. We need help to pay attention to how envy is lurking all around. We need strength to not believe the lies of our culture that tell us we'd be happier, people would appreciate us more, we'd be more significant if, if, if. But today, we remind ourselves again that you are more than enough. Speak to us now by the power of the Spirit. Help us to repent, to confess the ways that maybe sin, particularly sin of envy, might be creeping up in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing the chorus of that last song that we did.
It's your turn now. It's your turn to take off your shoes, your socks. Jesus must wash them. We're not going to do that literally because some of you are getting the sweats, I know. You're like, I think Dom's serious. This is intense, this church. But symbolically, that's what you have to do. And as Jesus washes our feet, he will tell us, I'm more than enough. Can you imagine Jesus will send his disciples out with nothing? and say, hey, go tell people who I was and don't take anything with you. People will provide for you as you go. Trust me now. I'm like, I don't know. This table, envy has lost all of its power. Amen. All of its power. It's gone. It just doesn't stick. We feel, we're tempted, but it's power to control us, to keep us in bondage, to move us away from the things that Jesus is calling us to. No more. Because Jesus showed us how he himself conquered the envious one, Satan. This is what we're going to do. And if you've never done communion here, it's, it's a, a profound moment of just response. For some of you, maybe this is so new. Like you're like, I don't know if I believe in God or Jesus and the cross. I don't know what that means either. Hey, there is no pressure. We actually invite you not to come up. Just stay in your seat and just watch and maybe pray. So we don't want you to feel any kind of judgment to have to do this. But this is one of the most sacred things that Christians have done from the beginning because Jesus told them to do it. And what we're going to invite you to do is you're going to come up and we're going to do this in sections. We're dealing with, with COVID. You're going to come up, please, with your mask on. And as you come up, we're going to, this section can come first through the aisle and then after that section is done, this section and then that section. And as people are coming up, we're going to invite you to just grab one of these, you know, just a, a, a cup with some juice and a wafer and just take it back with you to your seat. Just sit down and enjoy just a moment with you and God and what the Spirit might say to you about this moment. And then I'll come up in a minute and I'll lead us in communion time together. Now, maybe you're here in this room and uh, if you're at home, you want to take a, a, a minute and just grab some things there. But if you're in this room and you're still not comfortable coming up, feel like there's a lot of people, you're not sure, if you just put your hand up, you know, as people are seated, our team here will come to you and just give you communion at your seat as well. We just want to be sensitive to that as well. Uh, people are at different places and we understand that. Let me pray for us as I invite this section to come up in a second. Jesus, symbolically now we, uh, we come to the table like your earliest disciples and we prepare our hearts and our minds to do this in remembrance of what you've done for us that has set us free. Lead us now by your spirit.
Years ago, I, uh, sorry. Years ago, I, uh, I was visiting somebody in a previous church who was in the hospital. They'd been in the hospital for a long time. And uh, one of the things I did one time when I went is I brought communion for them so that we could take it together. And as I was just preparing it and about to pray and read the Bible like I'm going to do now, this person said to me, I can't wait till I can take this again with those who are part of our family at the church. And it kind of hit me because I, don't, I think I had misunderstood that when we take this, we're saying to one another that we are brothers and sisters who are part of a body together. That's why Jesus will say that his body is broken for us. We become his body now. Broken, but pointing people to what he does. Maybe you're watching online and still not with us. We, we think it's very sacred that we get to do this together and we've done as best as we can to through the screen, but this is where technology meets its limits. The Bible tells us that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. You'll see it on the screen behind me. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take the wafer and the bread now, remember, this is for us. Let's take it together. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's take the cup together If, uh, if you were led by God to celebrate with us and to come, take communion, and you're still not baptized, we want to talk to you about how that's a really important next step. That Jesus left us as well as a model of what it means to commit to him fully and to his body and his work in the world. In a minute, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to close. And maybe some of you are here and you want to talk to someone or pray with someone. We just have a prayer space right over here to the left and we would hate for you to just leave or feel like you didn't get a chance to pray or to talk with someone. Maybe God is stirring you the sense that he's setting you free and drawing you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're watching online and, and that's your experience. You're like, I never understood that Jesus sets us free from these things. Send us a note. Be in touch. We'd love to take, talk you, to you about the next step. But I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to remind you of something very important. 
that envy awaits all of us. Envy is ready with all of its tools to draw us away from the blessings and the goodness of God. So as we pray now, if you feel comfortable, just open up your hands and say, God, you set me free from the power of envy in this world. Let's pray. Father, as we go now, fully reminded of the work of the cross and how it destroys sin and death in us and in the end and that the power of the Spirit is available to us to live set free from the bondage of sin. Go with us. Make us very aware of habits or patterns or things that allow envy to creep into our hearts and into our homes, into our minds. Remind us of the gifts of Sabbath rest and of generosity and of the cross that are gifts that you've given to us to practice and to live into so that we would experience the fullness of your blessings. Go with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you all. No need to rush off, but we look forward to seeing you again soon. If you have kids, you can pick them up. Tell your kids that you learned about envy today. It'll be important. God bless everyone. See you soon.